No AI lab is significantly ahead of the others. So whatever you're seeing from OpenAI, because they're more willing to put stuff out into the world, or Stability AI, or whoever it is, don't think that Meta and Microsoft on their own and Google and these other players don't have similar or better technology sitting behind their walls. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 31 of the Marketing AI Show and another wild week in artificial intelligence. It keeps accelerating again and again and again. I am your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Kaput, Chief Content Officer at Marketing AI Institute, and my co-author of our book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing and the Future of Business. Future of Business part seems to be the part that uh, might end up being the most interesting of all in the book we wrote. Uh, so today's episode is brought to you by the Piloting AI for Marketers online course series. We launched this series in December of 2022, a couple of weeks after ChatGPT emerged. So it's not all the latest stuff in there. Uh, lots of information about how ChatGPT and, and all these AI writing tools are impacting marketing, but it's a step-by-step -step learning journey. So we basically designed this series of 17 courses to take you from an introductory level of understanding about AI to really get you through to the point where you can pilot it and, and kind of lead the change within your organization. So the 17 courses have dozens of use cases and technologies, collection of templates and frameworks that'll help you uh, not only understand, but apply AI. And we've taken basically everything we've learned over the last decade of studying and writing about and speaking about and using AI and put it into about eight hours of content. So you can learn AI in a day, basically, AI in a box in a way. So uh, you can check that out at pilotingai.com uh, to learn more about the series. And you can use promo code AIPOD50 for $50 off registration. So again, that's pilotingai.com. If you are looking to um, not only understand and, and develop a deeper comprehension of AI, but apply it to your business and career, that is a great place to start. With that, I will turn it over to Mike for our weekly show. The If you're new here, uh, we pick three hot topics for the week and we talk about them. It's becoming increasingly difficult to select three. <laughs> we have, just last week, Mike and I were, I think, half joking that we might need to go to like two times a week on the podcast because it literally is just we lock in the three and then I message Mike like three different times and it's like, hey, how about this? How about this? How about this? And the, the topics are stacking up. So what do we got today, Mike? All right. So first up, we have some chat GPT related news. Um, it turns out that a 22 year old has created an app that claims to detect text that has been generated by chat GPT. This tool is called GPT zero and the creator is named Edward Tian and he is a senior at Princeton university who interestingly enough, appears to both have a background in computer science, specifically working on large language models like the ones that power ChatGPT, and also, I believe, has a background in journalism. So he's coming at the field from both the science and kind of the art of generating stories, text, and writing. And 
he created the tool in a holiday weekend. Like I think it was like three or four days, which is crazy um, because he believes that AI is at, quote, an inflection point and it has the potential to be, quote, incredible, but also terrifying. And so briefly, the way this app works is basically you plug in text that you suspect may have been generated by chat GPT. And the app looks at two variables, uh, the variables they are calling perplexity and quote burstiness. And it basically assigns each variable a score. So first, the app measures how familiar it is with the text presented, given what it has seen during training. So it's essentially using a similar large language model to vet the output of a large language model. And the less familiar it is, then the higher the text, quote, perplexity is, which means it's more likely to be human written, at least according to Tian. It then measures, quote, burstiness by scanning the text. What a great to see, word. <laughs> burstiness. <laughs> right. You might, you might see something like that in like the, you know, word of the year in the next <laughs> 12 months. <laughs> So this burstiness is basically scanning the text to see how variable it is. So if it varies a lot, it's more likely to be human written. So the overall point here is that we've talked about in a couple podcasts, the impact of ChatGPT, both on what we do, you know, content and marketing, but also on education and how students are just finding a crazy number of use cases for it in schools and in the process kind of upending how education works. So Tian basically created this to be able to detect uh, ChatGPT generated text and give teachers some type of tool to be able to actually regulate this stuff and start understanding what assignments are being generated by AI. And it's just blown up in popularity. It's an incredibly successful, just kind of free project that I believe last time I checked, um, about 6,000 educators had been claiming they were trying to use or explore as a way to understand is, are what my students creating, is it being created by ChatGPT? And so one last point he mentioned that I thought was really worth looking at is he said the app, he's not against AI at all. He studies it, but he just aims to create it to incentivize originality in human writing and prevent what he calls the quote, hallmarkization of everything, like a hallmark cards, where all of our written communication becomes formulaic and is devoid of the human creativity, personalities, ideas, and emotions that we would typically say is really personal, human, and good writing. So first off, Paul, I wanted to ask you, could you talk through some of the potential ethical issues that arise from the use of AI-generated text and how GPT-0 might be useful in addressing those? Yeah, I mean, as soon as ChatGPT came out, you, you knew that something like this would emerge. But I don't even look at this as that new of a concept, because if you think about the way that Google works, and we're going to talk about, you know, Google, I think, more today, um, there's this constant effort to identify legitimate good content. Now, language models have created some complexity in this scenario where it becomes harder and harder to distinguish because any of us who've played around with chat GPT realize it's actually pretty good at sounding like human written content. So you can understand that, um, you know, from an education standpoint, certainly it becomes very challenging to know, did my uh, students actually write this? But I look at, I look at that in a way as almost like 
I mean, students who are going to cheat are going to find ways to cheat. They always have. <laughs> and if they pay someone else to write their paper for them, it's still going to sound like a human written paper. And are you going to know they did it or not? And at the end of the day, they're, they're just cheating themselves. So I think you're going to have this ongoing sort of arms race of AI trying to determine if something was generated by AI. You could see incentive for Google and other search engines to want to know if it's AI generated content because they might want to, you know, not give as strong a ranking for AI generated content. They might want to incentivize human written content. Google said as much in their guidelines and their policies. Um, so I think it, you know, it does become a bit of an ethical choice that people are going to have. And this is why we keep always pushing responsible use of AI that you shouldn't use it to take shortcuts. You should use it to enhance and augment what you're doing as a writer, but it shouldn't be to remove the human in the loop. We're not trying to arrive at a point where we don't have it. Um, but, you know, they're not going to be alone. Like I saw a comment, uh, a quick backdrop. So this, the topic we're talking about, um, the way this emerged for us is our Marketing Institute um, Twitter account shared this article on like Friday morning or something like that. I think I saw it. So Kathy McPhillips and our team put this on Twitter. So I took it. I was Saturday morning. I'm like, wow, this, this is crazy. So I started thinking about the human impact side. I started thinking about, you know, what he's trying to do. And obviously the tool probably works. I think I saw one date report, like, like 60% of the time it works. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, he built it in 72 hours with no resources. Like <laughs> it's going to get better. So I saw some people like, oh, it doesn't even, you know, recognize all the time. I was like, it's a college student in a weekend with no financing. Like it's going to get better. So I thought it was interesting that the innovation happened so quickly that somebody was able to do this um, that fast. But the other was that the reason why he was doing it. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I throw this on LinkedIn. I put this on Saturday morning yeah, around like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning. So we are 72 hours removed from when I posted this on LinkedIn. It has 202,000 impress impressions. The most popular thing I have ever put on LinkedIn had like 65,000 impressions. So to give context, this, this topic blew up. Now, I don't know if the LinkedIn algorithm loved it or it just resonated with so many people, but judging by the 120 plus comments and 250 plus reshares of it, it resonates in a lot of levels with people. And the vast majority of the comments were extremely positive toward this idea that one innovation is happening this quickly. Two, there was definitely a fear factor. You know, there was a lot of people just like uncertain about what this all means. Um, but three, I think most people resonated with the human side of this, that there was this effort to, you know, continue to make writing mean something, to, to continue to understand um, the elements of emotion that go into writing, the elements of ex human experience that go into writing. And I, and I, so the, the, I haven't even been able to get through all the comments, but the comments would have been fantastic. But I happened to see one this morning um, from Christina, and she's actually an adjunct professor and teaches a marketing course. And she said that her university just upgraded to Turnitin originality, which I guess is a new feature from Turnitin, which has been used to, to, to find um, copies or cases where students were uh, using content illegally. And so even that platform, Turnitin, has already innovated as well to try and identify AI written content. So, you know, Edward's not going to be alone. It's not like this is the only game in town when it comes to this, but I think you're going to see this constant push for um, people are going to seek originality. Like they're going, they're going to increasingly want to know something was written by a human. And I don't know if like, 
you're never going to know for sure. Like, I think there might be probability scores. Like I, I could almost envision a day in the near future where you're reading something online and there's a score next to it. It's like, this is a 92% prob probability that it was written by a human or with, with AI support. Like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't had time to really process all of where this is going to go and what I think it's going to end up looking like, but I can tell just from the 200 some thousand impressions and, you know, hundreds of comments on this one post, people want that. They, mm. they want to know if they're reading something that was purely written by an AI. And I don't know about you, but like Twitter is becoming almost unreadable at times mm. because I feel like every, every thread on Twitter is just a <laughs> Ch Chad GPT output. Yeah. And it's, it's maddening. Like I've stopped even looking at Twitter threads that are coming from anything other than journalists I know aren't using ChatGPT to write them. Um, so I'm already feeling after two months of ChatGPT, like, oh my gosh, like not another AI generated SEO friendly list of something like it's driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth reiterating too. And you talked about it quite a bit, the speed here, because Edward, like you said, is not alone. Um, Edward is clearly very talented. Um, I don't want to diminish his accomplishment, but based on the nature of some of these models and tools out there and foundational tools to build AI solutions, the rate of innovation is dramatically faster than if we were talking about traditional software. Like Edward didn't need, you know, two months to put some code into production. He built this over a weekend. And like you said, um, the plagiarism tool has already updated. And then I guarantee you, someone, maybe OpenAI, maybe another model, may actually use some of those tools to train their tool to, oh, to dodge those tools. The, the, the technology is not going to win here. Like at the end of the day, it's going to come back to humans making dis ethical decisions and being responsible about the use of the tools. Like it's what, it's what technology always comes down to is it gives humans these powers and then they have to choose how they're going to use those powers. These are just more powerful than anything we've had before when it comes to this realm. So, yeah, I mean, I think more and more, and you and I were talking about this yesterday, I think more and more it's going to be on individual brands and media companies and publishers and agencies to be proactive in defining how they are using AI. So it's clear when I get to a website, okay. They're using AI tools, but they're using them for this purpose. Like mm. what I'm reading, you know, the CNET article we, we talked about yep. before where they were just like straight up using AI to just pump out a bunch of crap, honestly. And yes, it ranked for SEO, but it was really just to generate revenue and affiliate links and stuff. So that's an unethical use of AI, in my opinion. It's misleading mm. intentionally to the user. You don't want them to really know AI wrote the stuff. And I think that that's going to go away real fast. Like. You're going to obviously have a bunch of these companies that try and take these shortcuts, but I think that the um, general internet population will revolt against stuff that is blatantly trying to mislead them and make me think, did a human write this or not? It's like, just be straight up. Like, yep. human wrote this, but we used AI to do the summarization part. Like, just say it, because I think you're... you're Credibility will be so much higher if you're just transparent in how you use it rather than trying to hide the fact that you're doing it. And that's what's bothering me right now with so much of this junk that I'm starting to see on Twitter mm -hmm. and even, you know, just some of the stuff that gets shared elsewhere. Um, it's so obvious that someone who has no idea what they're doing created something to make it seem like they actually have a clue. And it, it bothers me. Maybe it bothers me as writer. Like I just frustrates me. I don't know, but 
don't, I, yeah, just don't use it to take shortcuts. It's, it's not going to end up well for you or your brand. If, if you mislead people intentionally about your use of these tools. That's a really good point. And, you know, for another look at how this kind of AI arms race is playing out, our second topic is that this week, Google finally, I think, given our discussions, came out guns blazing in the AI arms race. So there's a number of different reports um, about Google's moves in AI uh, that have happened in the last week. And one of them in the New York Times, they report that Google's founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, were called in to refine the company's AI strategy in response to threats like ChatGPT. And also Microsoft has just formally announced um, you know, the some more details about its multi-billion dollar partnership with OpenAI. And, you know, Larry and Sergey were not super, super involved with Google. So it's a big deal uh, that they're being called in again. And according to the Times, Google now intends to launch more than 20 new AI-powered products. They published a bunch of different um, research findings across computer vision, large language models, all these major areas of foundational AI. And they also intend to demonstrate a version of the search engine with chatbot features this year. Now, I don't think that means necessarily it will commercially roll out immediately, but we should be seeing some pretty strong responses from Google about, uh, related to some of the innovations we've seen, like ChatGPT. So you also published a pretty popular LinkedIn post on this subject. And in it, you said, quote, here we go. Google would like to remind you who put much of the generative AI we see today in motion and lay the groundwork for what's to come. What did you mean by that? What's to come? So Jeff Dean, if you're not familiar, um, is the senior fellow and senior vice president of Google Research and AI. So he is a major, major player in AI for the last decade plus, um, but often behind the scenes. People who don't follow this stuff closely may have never heard of Jeff Dean, but probably will. So Jeff is the guy who came out with the, um, I think, setting the stage for what was about to happen. So we record our podcast on Tuesdays. Last Wednesday, the day after our podcast, um, they, uh, they put out a summary of kind of their history with AI and, and a look at where they were going to be going. So it was the first time where you actually saw Google say, without directly saying, hey, we're hearing what's going on, all this chatter about us being obsoleted and our search engine going away. And it was sort of a stake in the ground where they were very clear of like, this doesn't, what's happening right now doesn't even happen without us. Hmm. Here's everything we have done over the last decade, basically, to make this moment possible. And if you think that we don't have other stuff waiting, you're crazy. So for example, the Transformers came out of Google in 2017. So the Transformers are what fundamentally enabled OpenAI to do what they're doing today with ChatGPT and GPT-3. So they, he goes through this extensive list of all the innovations, all the milestones in their research and starts to lay out their plan for imagery uh, or images, video, audio, and text, kind of the, the different modularities that'll be, be present within everything Google does. Sundar himself, the CEO of Alpha and Google, retweets that, shares that out. So you could start to see this was a concentrated PR effort right away. It was obvious that it's like, okay, they're going to start to take control of the narrative. They're not going to just release this stuff, but it's not 
I don't think it's coincidental that the Time Magazine article with Demis came out with DeepMind, where he was talking about Sparrow, their chat GPT-like product. Yep. Um, then you have Jeff Dean doing this and saying, this is going to be a series. Here's the first in a series about our innovations in AI and where we're going. You have their earnings call in, what, nine days or so. Yep. So I think we are about to see not only a PR blitz from Google to start taking control of the narrative back a little bit, I assume that within Q1, you're going to start to see some of these 20 products that were talked about in the Times piece um, coming out. So I think, as we've talked about before, the trillion dollar question in 2023 is, what do these major players do? Like, we're going to see massive movements in AI, and we're going to see this one-upsmanship that's going to keep going on, because that was the 28th, and then you have the Sundar or, or Satya um, come out on what yesterday, the 23rd where they're like, yep, we're in multi-billion dollar investment in open AI. So it's like, you're just like every week, it's gonna be like whiplash. Who, who's yep. making what crazy announcement? And then you mix in yesterday, you and I talked about this, Jan LeCun, who's mm -hmm. the head of the AI research lab at Meta. And he does an interview where <laughs> the, the headline is, ChatGPT is not particularly innovative and nothing revolutionary, says mm -hmm. Meta's chief AI scientist. Now he tweeted kind of, I thought it was kind of funny, uh, it said, the title is blunt, but the article conveys what I said on this Q&A about the progress of AI. Chat GPT and other large language models didn't come out of a vacuum and are the result of decades of contributions from various people, like Google was saying. Um, no AI lab, and this is the key to me, no AI lab is significantly ahead of the others. Hmm. So whatever you're seeing from OpenAI, because they're more willing to put stuff out into the world, or Stability AI, or whoever it is, don't think that Meta and, and Microsoft on their own and Google and these other players don't have similar or better technology sitting behind their walls. And that's, you know, again, we've been talking about this been a recurring theme for the last six weeks on the podcast. We haven't seen anything yet. Like whatever you think you understand about AI today, just wait. Like it's going to get insane. Yeah, and read between the lines here. If these people are talking about it with this tone and these contextual framings of their contributions, that's coming from somewhere. There's pressure. And you had mentioned Google's earnings call in nine days. All of the other big tech companies also within the next two weeks have their earnings calls, go on their investor relations page. They have all the information about when to tune in. I guarantee you things like ChatGPT have increased pressure on executives from shareholders and major people on the board, I would guess, about what are we doing with this? Because probably all those people are not always perfectly attuned as to the multi-decades of research and contacts that you know Facebook and Google have contributed to this field. I guarantee you that. I mean, I've been talking to venture capitalists, friends within tech companies. I, I, I know for a fact that they're getting questioned by the boards and questioned by the executive teams of what's going on, what's our play with AI. And the challenge oftentimes there is like the board members and the stakeholders who are challenging them, they're just seeing all the buzz about ChatGPT. Yeah. What yeah. are we doing with ChatGPT? It's like, that's not even the right question. What are we doing? What is our AI play? Like, what is yeah. our roadmap for AI infusion into our business is the right question. And that's not even getting asked, but you're going to see stuff like what's happening at Google where these companies are going to have to come out and not only take credit for what they've been doing, they're going to have to reinvest, like they're going to have to 
somehow figure out a way in this current environment to amplify their investment in AI, to, to refocus their energy, like Meta we've talked about. Mm. Meta is an AI company. They've gotten distracted by the metaverse, you know, including changing their name to it. <laughs> um, but my belief is at the end of the day, Meta is an AI company with some of the most innovative AI researchers in the world yeah. doing some stuff that the vast majority of people have no clue they're even working on. And at some point that stuff is got to come to light and it has to become a bigger focus for them. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's like five, six major players here. Um, Google is certainly, you know, I, I would say Google probably was in the lead mm. they may still be in the lead with the stuff we haven't seen yet, but, um, you know, meta Microsoft, they, they weren't far behind Amazon. Um, so I, yeah, I think this year's lot's going to play out and you're going to see a lot of major announcements and we may have to go to that two times a week model to yeah. keep up with what's about to happen especially over the next couple of weeks with these earnings calls so it seems like it's pretty clear there's about to be or is currently an arms race going on so you know we don't know exactly how that will play out but if i'm a business leader of any type of organization what kinds of questions should i start asking about my strategy my talent my technology given that we can reasonably assume some big things are coming down the line this year I mean, the first thing you need to be thinking about is who in your organization can figure this stuff out. If you're lucky enough to have a chief AI officer or, you know, if you're a big enough company where you've got some AI talent, both the technical side and the business minded AI talent, then great. You're, you're probably in a really good place, but you're also probably a bit of an anomaly. Um, there are very few businesses that I talk to. We talk to big and small companies, funded companies, private companies, public companies. I, I've talked to very few where I walked away thinking they got their shit figured out. Like they know what's going on. It's, it's, um, it's a talent first question. In my opinion, I think you have mm. to have the right people in the room who can look at this stuff and try and figure out how do we build a smarter version of our company? And that's what our advice always is. Like, what does a smarter version of your business look like? And like, if I, Let's pretend like a competitor was coming for your business. Like if you're Google and OpenAI is coming at you, how do you make every part of your business smarter? Where, where can AI help you in your marketing, sales, service, product, R&D, HR, finance, legal? Like, and you're not going to do it all at once, but you want to build this roadmap that says, okay, over the next three to five years, we're prioritizing product first if we're SaaS business, marketing, sales, service, ops. Like you sit, kind of set your priorities. But you need to figure out how to infuse AI into the business and build a smarter version or somebody else is going to do it for you and take your spot. But that starts with having the right people in the room to figure this out. And that's the hard part, honestly, right now. There aren't that many. Um, so like you and I, like we're, we're building an emerging consulting practice for this exact purpose mm -hmm. because people don't know where to go for answers. And so we're starting to talk with larger organizations like, okay, how, how can we build these smarter entities? And so I think a lot of our work moving forward is going to be about building these next gen businesses. What is, it was an AI emergent company look like, because, um, there aren't very many people with the answers out there right now. And I think even then the trick is going to be staying current on it. Like you could put a roadmap in place today that says, here's over the next three years, what our business needs to do. Here's the 10 AI projects we're going to run over these next three years. And then three months from now. Microsoft or Google or Meta could make some announcement that blows it all up. It's like, oh, okay, well, that just obsoleted three of our projects. Now what do we do? So you're gonna, it's gonna be this iterative and faster moving iteration of a continuous AI roadmap, and that to me is the only way to build a business moving forward. So like I've, I've actually been working behind the scenes on 
a smarter version of our institute. Like, what does this look like? How do, how do we infuse AI across our business model? So almost as like building a roadmap as a, a beta for how we can do this for other organizations as well. But I, I think it's the only answer is you have to build an AI emergent company and you need the people in the room who know what that means and how to do it. Gotcha. So switching gears slightly for our last topic here, we're going to talk briefly about the dark side of AI training. So a new investigative report came out that kind of talked about the dark side of what happens when we're training these foundational AI models. So a recent investigation by Time Magazine found that OpenAI used outsourced Kenyan laborers who earned less than $2 per hour to make ChatGPT less toxic. So what that means is they had workers review and label large amounts of data of disturbing text that includes violent, sexist, racist remarks, and a whole boatload of other even worse things in order to teach the platform what constituted an unsafe bit of language output. Now, some workers, unfortunately, reported pretty serious mental trauma resulting from this type of work. And eventually, OpenAI and SAMA, which is the outsourcing company in Kenya that was involved, um, suspended their relationship and stopped the work they were doing due to both the damage to workers, but also they were getting a ton of negative press around these kinds of practices. And, you know, you had published about this as well in a LinkedIn post, and it seemed to really resonate with people. It just raises larger questions about how the AI technology we're discussing, the models that are going to transform our businesses, how these are actually being trained. And you said, quote, there are people often in faraway places whose livelihoods depend on them exploring the darkest sides of humanity every day. Their jobs are to read, review, and watch content no one should have to see. So talk to me a bit about how does this type of outsourcing and labor impact the ethics of the AI industry as a whole? This goes back to the point of ChatGPT was the shiny object that got everyone seemingly interested in artificial intelligence. And on the surface, it's awesome. Like, oh, this can help us do these things. It has all these unknowns about the impact on our business and our team. But at the end of the day, like, this is magical. It's crazy tech. And that might be as far as a lot of people go. And they don't go further to understand, well, what is artificial intelligence really? How does this stuff even work? What is a language model? How is it trained? Um, and then you start to kind of slide into things like this, where the reality of the way artificial intelligence works. So this isn't new. Like that was, you know, I put this up. I was, I, I think I said I post, like I was debating even sharing it because I feel like right now we're at the level where everyone's finally paying attention to artificial intelligence and becoming curious about it. And this is going like zero to a hundred, like mm -hmm. to take people immediately to, oh, do you know how they're trained? You're just going to get this like backlash of, oh my gosh, like, I don't even, I don't even want to know this stuff because you're just trying to get into a topic you've been avoiding generally for the last few years if you're a business or marketer. Mm -hmm. um, and so things like deep conversations around the ethics of AI, uh, understanding the impact on the environment, um, understanding the impact on humans who have to train and label this stuff. Like those are heavy topics. And so I can see a lot of people just not wanting to have to deal with those topics right away. Not that they're not critical and important, but 
my general feeling is you're going to get a lot of people just like, ah, I, I'm not going there right now. Like, I don't even know that. But I felt like this is a, a fundamentally critical topic for people to realize how AI is trained. So in you have been experiencing this for like a, a decade or more on social media. So if you go into Facebook, there are lots of really horrible things people post all the time on Facebook. Photos, videos, stuff you don't even want to imagine humans think about or do, they put up all the time. Sometimes live streaming horrible things. The only way for AI to automatically detect and remove that stuff before it spreads is for it to learn it's bad. The way it learns it's bad is a human watches it and labels it as bad. This is how social media has worked for a decade. So to you, again, I'm not going to go into graphic detail here, but imagine like the worst things humans could possibly do, the dark web of things. Someone has to tell AI that stuff is bad. The AI does not know. It doesn't understand these things like a human does. So it has to be trained over and over and over again, constantly labeling horrific things. And then someone at Facebook, not in a faraway place, sitting off in Silicon Valley, has to look at the training sets and say, did it work? Did, did it get the thing off the internet we were supposed to get off the internet? So they're sending this content to faraway places for cheap labor because it's lots of labeling, lots of horrible work that nobody really wants to do unless they have to do it. Then it comes back to the U.S. and they then have to vet, did it work? Is the training working? And then stuff gets through. And then they have to go like, why did it get through? So there are people in faraway places and nearby, if you're in the U.S., who have to look at this stuff all the time. Imagine like the mental impact that has on you. Like I still have like lines from that article, things I read in that article, I can't get out of my head a week later, mm. just from like one line. Imagine having to actually read that, like read that stuff for nine hours a day and say like, yep, bad, bad, bad. So this is how images are trained. It's how video is trained. It's how language is trained. And that's not going to change. So I think like when I put it up, it was it was just an awareness thing. Like I wanted people to start realizing there's much more to the story than shiny objects that do magical things. There is an entire um, history behind how this stuff has worked. And there is an impact it has on humans today, not just job loss. Like there are people who have like as part of your compensation packages, like um, mental health, like seeing psychologists about the things you have to look at every day. <laughs> And that, that is a really hard thing for people to comprehend who don't have to do this stuff all the time. So, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's not like you can put something up like this and there's some action item that we can all take. Like you're not going to, like, I think someone made a comment in the post about like, well, I, you know, maybe I won't use chat GPT anymore. I was like, well, then stop using social media. Like mm -hmm. th this, yeah. the point of this wasn't to say this is horrific and we shouldn't do it. The point of it is to raise awareness that this is what happens. And you can't just like arbitrarily choose that open AI is evil because they're doing this because they all do it and they have yeah. no alternative. That's the, I think that's the challenge. Should they pay them more? Absolutely. Like, should there be a greater focus on the human impact of this? hundred percent, but you can't just pick one of these tech companies and say, well, they're evil because they're doing that because they all, they all do it. 
So if I'm a business leader using these tools um, or considering it, I mean, obviously this is a bit upstream of, you know, the actual tool being used in the use case. Are, is there anything I need to be thinking about here for my own company brand usage of the technology? Or is it more just kind of educating myself on the nuts and bolts of how AI is actually working? I think it's going to be a more advanced part of the AI roadmap and scaling the use of AI in your organization, you're probably going to quickly need to arrive at a point where it's like, okay, we're buying this solution. What is the training data for this? How was it trained? Um, you know, I, I mean, this is probably not the, the right analogy, but like um, the diamond industry, where were they mined? What are the conditions mm -hmm. with which the diamonds are mined? Like, that's not that unlike this. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right, I get it's a language model. Okay, they, they're the proprietor of the language model it was built. How was that language model trained? What labor was used to train the model? So you could imagine publicly traded organizations in particular that have higher standards for this stuff. They're probably going to start asking those sorts of questions within their RFPs. Like, mm. So I think as you look out ahead and you take a more robust approach to the integration of AI across your organization, you will likely start getting into these scenarios where you really have to understand the training data sets and then where that training came from and how it was generated and things like that. But I think it's probably early for a lot of organizations. You're not, I mean, again, you're, you're buying an AI writing tool, you're head of content marketing or head of, you know, lead editor, or whatever is going to go and assess some tools and buy a tool. They're not going to have right. a clue right. <laughs> how the language model learned or what human labor, you know, provided the labeling. And they're not going to know to ask that stuff. So I, that's why I say it's just a more advanced topic, not a, any less critical topic. It's just more advanced because there's not enough people in the industry who know to even ask the right questions. That's awesome. That's really, really helpful, I think. Um, Paul, as always, thanks again for your time, your expertise. I think we've covered a lot, done a decent survey <laughs> of AI this week until next week. But uh you know, maybe we will get up to that two times per week in the future. We'll see. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you for uh, answering all our questions and really educating the audience on the potential of AI. Yeah. And before we go on the topic of content, we did make an announcement uh, just yesterday. The AI for Writers Summit is a virtual event on March 30th. So if you're trying to figure out the impact of all this stuff on writers, editors, content teams... Uh, it's just AIWritersSummit.com. Uh, you can go to and check it out. And so it's going to be a half-day virtual event. It's free, um, courtesy of Writer, our sponsor for that event. So I would I would suggest if you're curious about this stuff, we're probably not going to go too deep into like labeling of language models in that, but we're going to have a state of AI and writing, a keynote I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a feature presentation um, from A. Habib at, at Writer about uh, AI for content teams. And Hanley's going to do one on Everybody Writes, kind of the human side panel Q&A. So yeah, check out AIWritersSummit.com if you're interested in figuring out more about this stuff. And we'll share more about that as we're going. Like I said, it, it just was announced yesterday. So hot off the presses. Uh, yeah, man, let's see what the week brings. It's <laughs> I'm sure as we've been talking for the last 40 minutes, some stuff has probably happened we need to cover. Yeah. No All right. Kid. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We've The, the numbers are off the charts uh, in terms of listenership for this show um it, it's been incredible so we love hearing from you uh definitely reach out to us if you're a regular listener and um yeah let us know what you like about it let us know what we could do better and we'll look forward to talking with you again next week thanks mike
Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.